Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. stand we stand as giants if we're going to walk we're going to walk as lions um there is a uh, an opportunity before us each and every day as ambassadors of the king and the kingdom to walk out our faith into the world in ways that honor jesus we don't do that with um with arrogance but we do it with power Um, we don't do it uh in any way that looks down on others but we but we certainly um, speak as ones who have the very authority of Christ. That That's what we're given by our Lord and Savior. Um, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Like it, It's, you know, do that as a person who is uh, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and, um, and, and readied uh, with the gospel and armored up in the full armor, uh, spiritual armor that's described in Ephesians chapter six, like it is, it is past time for Christians to be um, sitting back and waiting for someone else to reach this culture for Jesus. Uh, today's our day. Now's our time. This is the day that the Lord has made. We are rejoicing and we are glad in it, and we are walking into it um, by faith. We are striding into it as lions, and we are standing as giants. Um, Come what may. Come what may. All right, so as we start off 2020, let's just take a moment to get some things uh, into focus. As you look back, what do you see? And then as you look forward into the future, what do you see? And are you focused on the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God? Or are you actually focused very much on the things of the earth? And I recognize that the day-to-day list, I have a list, you have a list, I have failed to get dish soap the last two days, like today, that has to be a earthly priority, uh, because at some point, you know, it's time. So um, so there are some things that every day we have to do, they're on the list. But is there enough margin in your schedule every day, and in my schedule every day, to actually keep the divine appointments that God has set? Have I constructed my plan in such a way that it allows for God's plan to uh, to be accomplished in and through me today. Um, and as I'm reading the promises of God in the Bible, which I would say, you know, if you're not in the word of God, you can't be in the world as God's agent of grace. So where in the word are you today? And as you're reading the promises of God in the Bible, I mean, there's there's literally like more than a thousand promises of God yet unfulfilled. And so am I, am I anticipating that God is going to fulfill those promises? And am I watching um, am I reading the signs of the times, looking for evidence of the fulfillment of the promises of God, where God is being God, sometimes where God is showing off as God? And then am I giving him all the glory and the praise? So uh, today, as we consider the times in which we live and as we consider the future which is before us, you know, I, I really do want us to be consumed with, uh, with the knowledge of who God is and the power of that knowledge to influence 
uh, the lives of others. All right, up next, Paul Ace from Plugged In, uh, focus on the family. We are going to talk about some pop culture, looking back at 2019, and then looking looking at um, some uh, some of the things on the screen today. Uh, we're going to look at Messiah by Netflix, and we're also going to look at Pixar's Float. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Returning now to um, a conversation that was just kind of like an ongoing thread here on Fridays with our friends from Focus on the Families Plugged In. Today, we've got Paul Ace. Paul, welcome back. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so happy to be back here. So, yeah, it's 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 great to have you. And at PluggedIn.com, if folks visit there, one of the things they're going to find is um, this piece that you wrote called Pop Culture's Top 10 Movers and Shakers 2019 edition. Um, I, let's, just, let's just walk around in it. For people who may have missed the big uh, pop culture news of 2019, um, let's lead off with it was the year of goodbyes. It was the year of goodbyes. There was there was a lot of really for for those of us who sort of work in and live in this pop culture world, which is frankly a lot of us, uh, a lot of popular franchises sort of went by the wayside in in one way or another. We uh, we just saw the turning of the page of the Star Wars saga. You know that part of the the Skywalker saga sort of came to a close with uh, with the rise of Skywalker. Um, the Avengers stopped one of their, their a big sprawling series. Obviously there's going to be a ton of Marvel superhero movies coming down the road, but but a huge chunk of it was closed with Avengers Endgame. Um, and then there are, I know that you probably have some Game of Thrones fans out there who watched that series come come to a close as well. We lost so many stars, you know, that that's something that, that we have to deal with every year, but we lost a ton of people, even even Carol Spinney, the grouch uh, from from when I was a kid watching Sesame Street, he passed on. Uh, it's it's been a difficult year in, in some ways because we've had to say a lot of goodbyes. And then there have been um, some characters that have emerged this year that that we would have a we would have a generation ago had a hard time even imagining because they're <laughs> they're not human. Um, they're not played by humans. Some of them are fully animated. Talk a little bit about Baby Yoda and the Fortnite soldiers. <laughs> you bet. Yeah. So this is one of my very favorite lists to put together every year, actually. I, I, I write this list. I've done it for, for six or seven years, talking about the people who have really impacted the culture the most. And I think when we look at recent history, I don't know of anything that has impacted culture quite the way that Baby Yoda has. Okay, so, it, see, I, so driving down the interstate uh, here in Tennessee, um, Baby Yoda um, is now like featured on the those those things that you drive under where the where you know the government is telling you to like fasten your seatbelt and put your kids in a baby seat like right it talks about a baby Yoda being properly put in a baby seat like over the holidays like that was there like even baby Yoda is properly yeah so I'm just saying that like it yeah. is a cultural phenomenon. It really is. If you have baby Yoda teaching driver safety, you know it's a big. <laughs> 
And I think that that Baby Yoda, it, the thing is just so stinking cute. I think that he, he had to have been designed by some sort of computer algorithm for the cutest creature that can ever walk the earth. Um, yeah, and and so we've seen Baby Yoda everywhere. The Fortnite soldier was a little bit of a different thing um, because Fortnite is this video game that you play online. It's a shooter. It's incredibly popular. Um, 200 million people, more than 200 million people have accounts and, and play Fortnite regularly. And they can play as a variety of different people. Uh, but when you look at the influence of this video game that probably a lot of us have never seen or never played, it is a huge, huge driver in the culture. Um, as a matter of fact, Netflix, the, the, the Netflix folks, and we know how powerful Netflix is, they have said that they don't really see a lot of the streaming services as their primary competition. They don't necessarily see uh, traditional TV as their primary for, uh, com competition. They see Fortnite. Uh, there's, there was even a, a little a little release that that was sent to their to their stockholders saying we compete and lose to Fortnite more than HBO, and I think that that says something about the popularity of that video game. So Netflix um, is certainly uh, on the list, uh, maybe just streaming services in general, uh, because Disney Plus certainly makes that list as well. Um, mm -hmm. and a couple of things down here uh, toward the end of the list that I think are significant to talk about before the break. The Jesse Smollett storyline was certainly an interesting one in 2019. Um, there are listeners who love Alex Trebek and um, are certainly anticipating probably, I mean, I'm going to guess that this week, um, you know, in this big, big thing that they're doing where they're bringing these three people uh, back on the show, um, you know, it's quite possible that this is when he's going to announce that he's leaving um, Jeopardy. But talk with us uh, in the last minute that we've got here before the break about Kanye West. Yeah, Kanye West has been an incredibly interesting story this year, I think. Uh, you, uh, he started off this year starting his Sunday service, uh, which has become sort of this magnet for a lot of celebrities. Uh, people come in and listen to Kanye sing and talk and hear these incredible gospel choirs. And it, he has really taken a strange, interesting, and and I think for many people, inspiring turn toward faith. Now, I think that there are a lot of people who question. We we know that, that Kanye has had a uh, complex history with religion. We know that he has been... Um, he he is a brilliant rapper, I think most people would say, but he has definitely had a sense of self-focus. So people have been wondering about how sincere this turn toward faith is. But the truth is, I think that he is drawing people who might have turned their back on faith and might be turning them toward it again. And I, I think that that's sort of an interesting phenomenon. He, from all respects, 2019 was a year of spirituality for Kanye West. And I think that that in some ways he has helped make 2019 a year of spirituality for a lot of his fans as well. Yeah, I don't know anybody who has a bigger platform uh, in terms of of directing people, turning people's attention away from um, themselves because they happen to be the one on the stage and to Christ, mm -hmm. um, you know, to whom they are now bending the knee. So I'm one of those uh, people who, you know, I'm not necessarily a fan of his music, but I am certainly praying ardently um, for, uh, for Kanye West and his wife and for their family um, that, you know, that not only would this be the real deal, but that they would be surrounded by 
a community of believers who would now disciple them in the faith um, that, you know, that that real sanctification would be evident. And um, because this is a powerful this is this is this could be a pivot point. I mean, revival could follow on the heels of the uh, of the public conversion of such a um, you know, a person of influence. So it's just it's very I think it's potentially very, very exciting. All right. We got to take a break. When we come back, Paul, let's talk about um, a couple of things that people may be. I'm interested in watching, and you're going to tell us whether or not maybe we should. We're going to talk about Pixar's Float, and we're going to talk about Netflix Messiah. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Hey, we're going to invite you to go to PluggedIn.com for reviews of uh, movies including uh, Little Women, Spies in Disguise, Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. Um, but right now, I'm going to talk uh, with, with Paul Asay from Plugged In um, about Pixar's short Float. Tell, I, don't, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> float is, a, a, it's a, it's a, it, like you say, it's a short. It's probably about five minutes long. Um, and it's about this, this father who has a, a, a little child that actually begins to float around in the air. He And at first, he's really excited because, of course, his little baby can float. But mm. as time goes on, he quickly realizes that that makes his boy different. And he gets very uncomfortable with this, this kid who can do things that other kids cannot. And it's essentially a story of a, of a dad trying to come to terms with a child who's different um, and, and how how to best love and lead him through that time. It's a, it's a really interesting, you know, Pixar does some really thought provoking things, even within, even within their five minute shorts. And, and this was definitely thought provoking for me. All right. Do I have to have a Disney plus subscription to watch Pixar's float? Why? Yes, you do. I'm afraid okay. that's true. All right. So, so I might not see that until somebody, I don't know, hijacks it. Okay. Or they figure out how to share it with the rest of us. Let's talk about, because again, I mean, this was going to be true of, of this next one as well. I'd have to have a subscription to Netflix to watch Messiah. Um, but I have seen a lot of um, uh, social media traffic on this particular show. So tell us about Netflix's Messiah. You bet. Netflix is Messiah. It's it's a very unusual show. It, it, it actually comes from this person. It's created by Michael Petroni, who uh, actually wrote the screenplay for uh, the the Voyage of the Dawn Trader way back when. Mm. He has some experience doing some some faith based, some faithy type of properties. And two of the executive producers are actually Mark Burnett and Roma Downey, who a lot of people remember as the driving force behind the Bible series that came to the History Channel. Uh, way back in 2013. So it has some some oomph. And the story is really about this guy who sort of comes out of nowhere in the middle of Syria and who begins to claim that he is actually the son of God. He is he is Christ come back. Uh, and it's, it's almost a mystery story in terms of uh, whether you believe him or not. He seems to be able to do miracles. He seems to have some incredible power, some great charisma. And yet there's some evidence that maybe he's a charlatan. Maybe he has a history of mental illness. Uh, in the Islamic community, many people think that this might be a representation of their version of the Antichrist, as a matter of fact. So, so there's a lot of really provocative things that are, that are embroiled in here. The thing about Messiah is that it, it has some very interesting talking points 
it, it definitely makes you think and definitely makes you sort of consider what the second coming might look like. But when we look at it as a show from a from a plugged in point of view, it definitely has some problems. People who are looking for a Bible type of, of mm. presentation, they're not going to find that here. It has it's loaded with profanity. It has some violence. It has some really gritty things that we've come to expect in in this age of prestige TV. And so for for folks who are who are wary of that sort of content, and I think it's a good thing to be wary of that type of content this may be something to push pause on. Yeah, I do think it's a great opportunity to um, initiate conversations or participate in conversations because when people are talking around you about something you have not seen, that can either be a time when you sort of recede from the conversation or you bring things to the conversation that those currently in it, you know, don't know. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I can have a conversation about the Messiah that has nothing to do with Netflix. And I right. can have a conversation about the second coming of Christ that has nothing to do with whatever it is that Netflix is presenting here. And so that's going to be my encouragement to listeners. Like, um, actually get into the scriptures, see what God has said about the second coming of Jesus, um, and prepare yourself in that way for the conversation of the day related to this Netflix product um, called Messiah. So whether or not you watch what Netflix is offering, let us certainly be clear about what the scriptures say about who Jesus is as the one and only Messiah and what his second coming is going to look like and include. Um, He warns us that there's going to be a lot of people who, you know, who come in his name or pose as him. But how are we going to know that uh, that it's that it's really him? Well, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I think it's going to be pretty clear. Paul, you and I got to leave it right there. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. You guys can check it out at PluggedIn.com. We'll be right back. So next up, I'm going to talk with Marvin Olasky from World Magazine. He and I are actually going to focus our conversation in um, on his book, which is entitled Reforming Journalism. Uh, Marvin Olasky is a leading voice in this conversation uh, in terms of how Christians both consume, curate, and uh, and then post the news. So uh, Reforming Journalism up next with Marvin Olasky. This is Max Locato. A few years back, three questions came from different people in the span of a month. Question number one, had you been a German Christian during World War II, would you have taken a stand against Hitler? Question number two, had you lived in the South during the civil rights conflict, would you have taken a stand against racism? And question number three, when your grandchildren discover you lived during a day in which 1.75 billion people were poor and 1 billion were hungry, how will they judge your response? I did not mind the first two questions. Those choices were not mine. But the third question has kept me awake at night. We are given an opportunity to make a big difference during a difficult time. We are created by God to do great works, and He invites us to outlive our lives, not just in heaven, but here on earth. This is Max. Locato. Welcome back. I'm thrilled to be joined today by Marvin Olasky. Uh, he has a PhD from the University of Michigan. He's the editor in chief of World Magazine and holds the distinguished chair in journalism and public policy 
at Patrick Henry College. Um, it, many of us know him from his writings and blogs. Uh, many of us know him as well from his books. And he's here today to talk specifically about his new book, Reforming Journalism. Marvin, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Oh, glad to be with you, Carmen. So I'd just like to start with kind of a wide open question about journalism and and sort of the state of journalism today, particularly when it comes to Christians engaging in journalism. Well, the state of journalism in general is uh, is pretty bad. We hear a lot about about fake news, and there's a lot of that. Uh, secular publications and networks have pretty much gone over to. Uh, almost an existential subjectivity, regardless of what the real situation is. You promote your own ideology, your own worldview, and so forth. A lot of Christian media are much better than that in wanting to look at things through a biblical lens, but often we don't really know how to do that. The tendency is to often have stories pretty much like what secular media are producing, but we tie a bow on the end. Uh, we have a we quote scripture. We have some nice ending. Uh, we tend to provide sugar rather than salt, and that's not very helpful in the circumstances we're in right now. Okay, so I think that with that lead in, I would like to explore with you this concept that you introduce in the book uh, of reforming journalism. This idea of biblical objectivity, um, which differs both from subjectivity, which you have briefly touched on, and then conventional objectivity. Um, to talk with us about these three, I, I mean, I guess they're, they're approaches to truth, subjectivity, objectivity, and then biblical objectivity. Right. Objectivity has meant different things at different times in the history of American journalism. If you go back to the late 19th century, when photography was coming in, uh, people used objectivity almost as saying, well, we just set up a camera and we show whatever the camera shows, and then we are objective. But people increasingly learn that it depends so much on how you point the camera, what kind of film you use, what speed it is, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not that simple. And over time in the 20th century, objectivity came to be redefined in many ways as a balancing of subjectivities. You quote from person A, you quote from person B, uh, and you're going to, in some way, arrive at the truth. There was one basketball player who said during a strike of players against owners, well, there's the player's position, there's the owner's position, and there's the truth. And that often is the problem with balancing of subjectivities. You can get two different positions or more, and you're still not closer to finding out what objectively really is happening. And so that's where I come to biblical objectivity. We live in a house here in Austin that was built by the fellow who lived next door to us. And when we wanted to find out something about the house beyond our own observation, what's it made of, how, how sturdy are the pillars and so forth, we could ask him. Uh, God is the builder of our house. He's the builder of our lives. He's the builder of this whole world. And so when we want to find out what things really are in reality, objectively, we find out from God. We read the Bible, which in a way is kind of like the uh, at least the uh, the opening chapter is the blueprint that establishes what this earth is, who we are, uh, what the nature of our existence is. And so we try to look at things through a biblical perspective, and that's that's objective. Everything else is just our own opinion. It's just subjectivity. 
which leads me to ask, and again, let me remind our listeners, I'm talking with Marvin Alasky. He is, um, among other things, the person who provides to all of us uh, World Magazine. He is the editor-in-chief of World Magazine. Um, and if you're not familiar with uh, what they're doing in print or online or via their podcast, let me really encourage you to to check it out. Um, Marvin, that statement leads me to ask this question. If, like, if biblical objectivity is really what is going to lead to truth and the, um, not only the exposure of truth, but the expression of what is true through journalism, through the stories that are told by journalists about what is happening around us so that we can understand the context of the world in which we live, how could someone who is secular, genuinely secular, a secular journalist, how could they ever be objective? That's a really good question. And the answer comes down to fundamentally, no, that person is really not going to be objective. But if he or she looks very closely at things going on and tries to describe them at street level, we we talk about operating at street level, not suite level, uh, actually looking hard at things around, you can, you can come closer than you otherwise would. But no, apart from, apart from a knowledge of uh, God and a biblical understanding of the world he made, yeah, we're not going to have objectivity. And that's why Christian journalism is so important. So when we talk about Christians and we talk about Christians reporting on the news of the day, I know that one of the questions that's going to arise in listeners' minds right now is is just the basic bias of my worldview. Mm-hmm. You know, like I just recognize that I see everything through the lens of redemptive history. So even when there is what seems, you know, to be tragedy and bad news all around, you know, I, I remember that a really bad thing happened on a day we now call good, right? I mean, right. I I know that that the redemptive arc of history ends up in, in ultimate good. Um, can you talk about that? Can you talk about the bias that we experience as Christians just in relationship to what's happening uh, in, in the world around us and particularly in the news? Well, sure. There's a huge bias well, I'll give just an example. Several weeks ago, I was in Rio de Janeiro and visited what's called the uh, Museum of Tomorrow, which was a museum basically devoted to scaring kids. There were exhibits about the oceans are going to rise, Rio de Janeiro is going to be submerged, uh, everything is going down the drain. And that was a supposed objectivity, but it's based on a maybe and probably is faulty science, but it's also based in an attitude of of hopelessness, of despair. It's almost as if any kind of change that's going to occur, we talk about climate change, and again, scientifically, things may or may not be happening. We're not quite sure about it, but we're taught biblically not to despair. That attitude is missing from a lot of secular publication, which means that uh, journalists are going around, whether in Brazil or in the United States, you're very often hearing the sky is falling, the sky is falling. As Christians, we know the sky is not falling. God upholds the sky. All kinds of strange things and sometimes hard things may happen. But as you said, the redemptive arc of history is still there. And so we can have long range confidence. That's going to very much affect the way we cover things. That's going to very much affect the attitude we have towards each other and toward the world around us. And without that biblical hopefulness, we're likely to be looking at the daily headlines, whether it's on CNN or Fox News, there, there's a tendency to scare us and get 
get us increasingly worried about things over which we have no control. So, yeah, being a Christian is enormously helpful, not only in giving us our only comfort in life or in death, both body and soul, but in helping us just follow the news with interest. Uh, lots of fascinating things happen all over the place, and it's always interesting, I think, to pick up a daily newspaper and see what's going on with interest but not fear. And that's going to be a big difference, I think, that distinguishes Christians and lots of secular people these days. I'm talking with Marvin Olasky. We are talking about his newest book. It's called Reforming Journalism, and we'll be right back. Continuing my conversation now with Marvin Olasky. He is the editor-in-chief of World Magazine. He's also the author of many books, the latest of which is Reforming Journalism. I really valued the practical application part of the book. I thought the how to interview and then how to research and write profiles, I, I thought that was great. I thought that laying out the parts of a story was really helpful. I learned a lot in the two chapters about um, investigating Christian groups or investigating government officials. Like I, and then and then just good writing in English, like right, using words accurately. There's just really good content here uh, for anyone who is interested in interacting with a world that needs investigating, a world that needs for us to approach it with curiosity and then for us to tell good stories, not to tell stories that make everything sound good, but to tell stories in such a way that people are provoked to be curious, to want to learn more, to dig deeper, to read primary sources. I mean, on and on and on. So I loved the uh, practical application portion of the book, but I really want to, I want you to um, illuminate part three of the book for our listeners today, and that is the progress and regress um, portion of the book. I think any time that we're talking about reforming something, I think we have to ask ourselves, um, what what does the word reform mean when you're using it uh, in the title of this book? No, good question. By the way, let me say before getting into that, uh, you're doing a good job of interviewing right here. You've, uh, uh, you've obviously uh, read the book, uh, thought about it, and that's a lot better than many interviewers I've found over the years uh, who uh, don't actually. <laughs> so I'm going to have my producer, Paul, uh, uh, clip that. And because Marvin <laughs> Olasky just gave Carmen a compliment and she wants to, like, pin it to her wall. So there you go. Thank you, sir. Yeah, and, I'm, and I'm one of those crusty editors that doesn't throw out compliments very easily. So so I appreciate that. And and let me just say in interviewing, it's so important to actually have done a little bit of research about the person you're interviewing rather than just asking general questions. Uh, we see that sometimes in young interviewers who uh, just throw to politicians questions that are so open-ended that the politician can take it and, and just give out the usual blather. Uh, so it's very important to ask questions to elicit specific detail, to ask specifics, to, to push a little bit in interviewing. And, and control the interview in that way. And, and again, that's what you're doing. So yeah, you can you can take that to to folks and say and say, yeah, I know what I'm doing. Uh, you do. So I appreciate that. Now, the overall question of history is really is really interesting to get into. The history of journalism in America is really the history of a prodigal son. American journalism grew out of Christian journalism. If you look at newspapers both in colonial days and until the middle of the 19th century. Three-fourths of them in 1830, according to one contemporary analyst, were Bible-based, were, were explicitly Christian in orientation. 
And so they, tr they did try to approach questions and issues with biblical objectivity. And newspapers grew during that period. The reason we had an American Revolution, it may have been starting with the preaching of George Whitfield in the, uh, in the 1730s, but it was journalists over the next 40 years who really drove home points about the importance of liberty, about, about taxation without representation, all those things that became political issues in 1775 uh, started out as, as journalistic columns. And it was really journalists who got people thinking in these terms. American journalists in the, at the beginning of the, of the 19th century very commonly would try to examine things through a biblical perspective. If there were the Napoleonic Wars or earthquakes or tornadoes or anything that came up, they would try to see this as God's way of reminding us what's important in the world, the nature of sin, the nature of redemption, and so forth. Uh, that changed in the middle of the 19th century. And part of it was that Christian journalists stopped being journalists. They started, well, sometimes literally being preachers. Uh, the newspaper, and again, I, I, I like good sermons, uh, but newspapers and magazines and other publications have to rely more on, sto on stories. And a lot of Christian publications stopped telling stories and started just preaching, sometimes in a very abstract way. And they also often stopped covering the hard things. Instead of looking at the at killings in the Napoleonic Wars, uh, they tended to just to just be sugary, sugar rather than salt. And and Christian publications lost their readership. Readers who wanted a more gritty, street level understanding of things started reading magazines and newspapers from a non-Christian perspective. And as often happens in secular life, when you don't have a biblical base to stand on, you tend to go to the political left. You look for human beings to become gods instead of God. You, you worship particular ideologies. And that's what happened in American journalism slowly in the second half of the 19th century, increasingly during the 20th century. So let me, let me try briefly to, to give this, this overall perspective in a way, theologically, that American journalism, Christian journalism was strong when it uh, brought out what, what I, I, I call the corruption story, the idea that there's plenty of sin around, sin is internal. It, the problem is not just our external environment or particular social institutions, it's within ourselves. That's what we learn from the Bible. And that's why we desperately need Christ's salvation uh, as God saves sinners. The corruption story, starting in that middle part of the 19th century, started to become less read and the secular newspapers ran with, with what, uh, what I'd call the oppression story. Namely, we are naturally good, we're wonderful people, we are brought down by the institutions that surround us, whether it's economic institutions or ideologies like capitalism, whether it's big churches, whether it's different types of, of external social pressures, that's the problem. And so the job of journalists is not to examine what's happening within ourselves, what, what we bring about, but to start acting as revolutionaries to try to overturn the existing social institutions. And that oppression story becomes to dominate journalism in the late 19th and then increasingly the 20th century. What's really weird right now is that you have a combination of the initial story that Christians rebelled against, which I've called the official story. The official story was doing public relations for the king or the royal governor 
or particular leaders. Uh, the official story gave way to the corruption story, which gave way to the oppression story. But now, oddly enough, we are back to a kind of combination of the official story and the oppression story. You know, you could call it O&O journalism, namely the, the, the government, and this particularly became evident during the uh, presidency of Barack Obama, there's another O there, the government is going to be our friend to help us overthrow other institutions like capitalism or, or the power of the church. And so we look to governmental leaders to actually lead a revolt against other institutions. And it's a great situation for journalists because you can have uh, plush positions, you can get good salaries, you can have uh, nice offices, you can sit in your, in your air-conditioned offices and suck your thumb and work in your computers without ever having to go out and really find out what's happening. So you have all the benefits of the official story, but you can also feel like revolutionaries overthrowing society and bad institutions. So it's great psychologically for journalists until at some point people start to say that journalist, that emperor has no clothes. And that's where we are right now with all the talk about fake journalism. Marvin Alasky, um, the, the conversation is a feast. Uh, the book is, is just excellent. It's called Reforming Journalism. I also want to direct our listeners to World Magazine's website. To find that, you're going to type in world.wng.org. That's where you're going to find World Magazine. Marvin, we got to leave it right there. Um, thank you so much um, for the conversation. Thank you for what you're doing every day. And I feel like we should just give a personal shout out to Mindy Bells because we love her. Uh, as, as do we. So thank you very much. And Carmen, <laughs> thanks very much for your good questions. Absolutely. Have a blessed day. You too. So when you consider um, the way in which you are looking at the world, the media that you are consuming, the voices um, and the opinions that you are sort of gathering in, what you're accepting is true, let me, and let me encourage each of us to consider the true truth, the standard against which we are um, judging all of that. I increasingly recognize that we, we live in a day that is very much like the days of the judges in which people are just doing whatever is right in their own eyes. And the challenge is that we then have no um, collective arbiter of truth. And so l let me just ask, against what standard, against what immovable reality are you judging the truth? And, and that's going to help us as we curate the news. That's going to help us as we listen to the cacophony of voices out there today um, who are, you know, screaming at us from every direction. And so, you know, the, the fixed truth is, is God, good, beautiful, and true, transcendentally so. Uh, and God reveals himself in the word of Scripture, in the Old and New Testaments, and in the perfect, perfect person of Jesus Christ. And so it is against these standards that every single day, Christians are judging that which is true, that which is good and beautiful as well. And so just let me encourage you to be in the Word of God in order that you might know the truth and be set free in the conversations of the day, to speak the truth in ways that honor Jesus. I consider it an honor each and every day that we gather together um, for these conversations. Thank you so much. We'll see you right back here tomorrow for another edition of Mornings with Carmen. Have a great day and God bless.
Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.